location. Living the American Nightmare, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You are now listening to... Notes from the Underground. Observations over strange times. With your host, the narrator. Welcome back to the show, bud. Good to be back. Matt D, uh, this would be your second episode. Second solo, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right, because you were on with Eric when we did War in Europe, which, by the way, that was a fantastic episode. I hope everybody enjoyed that episode. Myself, personally, as far as the content goes, I think that is the best episode so far. Yeah, I liked it. It was to do something that's going on right now was cool you know weighing on mm-hmm. it i really like the three persons format too that's fun i i agree with that in the beginning i was a little leery because i didn't know how it was going to work but i like not in the beginning of our episode but in the beginning like when i started the podcast i yeah. didn't know how three people was going to work but when we did that it was like this is this is a little bit better because you get that third person that's like eh, or yeah that you know extra what I mean. exactly and, you know extra piece of knowledge especially when you have a you know Eric being the veteran and everything like yeah he's got deployed veteran has the knowledge especially when you're talking about a war a conflict right elsewhere he almost so. serves as like quote expert in yeah. that sort of area yep. yeah. So, a couple things before we get started. First of all, you can probably tell that my nose is a little stuffy. I apologize. It is springtime in Michigan, and it would not be complete without seasonal allergies. <laughs> so, buy Allegra. <laughs> <laughs> this is in no way sponsored by Allegra. But... Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, a bit of an exciting note. This is the first episode of the show that is done on location. Uh, my good friend Matt here was gracious enough to put up a sound room in his pool room. And I got to say, I think I like it better than my own personal <laughs> studio. I'm not going to lie. It's yeah. pretty badass. No no knock at you, but this, this is a little bit more spacious. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, in, in my basement, we're crammed into that yeah. little corner. So, yeah, we're in Matt's studio and... Uh, Matt has an interesting story to tell me today. I don't know anything about what we're about to talk about. For starters, let's get that out of the way right now. I literally have no idea what we're about to talk about. But you got a hold of me, what was it, Uh, two weeks ago? Yeah, just about two weeks ago. Okay. And you had said that you had a pretty interesting idea for an episode so from this point i'm gonna let you take the reins yeah so (laughs) it's gonna sound like it's pretty boring i got pegged for jury duty okay now i got pegged uh last hay season going into like second cutting i think and had to defer so uninteresting part of this had to do that i was like okay fine it's it's the first time i've ever been called for it and everything but yeah couldn't do it because he's got to come off you can't right. yeah can't put that off so i deferred to this spring okay sucks nobody wants to do freaking jury duty and everything so i'm going in and i like i wear my uh 
American Patriot t-shirt. It's got like a skull with the tricorn <laughs> hat on. I'm like, I'm trying to look like I'm some radical or something. And they get in there and they call up the first uh, 14 people because they pick two over what they need just so while they're going through trial, if anybody drops out for emergency, they have two extra people. So the first 14 are up there and they have to tell you, and then this room full of 30 or 40 people, for you folks who don't know what it's like to get called for jury duty yet. So there's still like 30 or 40 potential jurors in there because prosecution and defense have to pick you know who they want um and they all have the right to reject some people and so on and so forth but they have to give the jurors when they start interviewing everybody uh some base uh information not to divulge too much because it's supposed to be all pretty hush hush while the two uh charges that they want to that they're going after is first degree homicide which is the highest that you can get. Right. Um, carries, you know, life sentence without parole. And then the second charge was uh, disinternment of a dead body or mutilation of a dead body. Holy shit. Okay. Pause. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> so, quick recap. You get called for jury duty. You defer it. The time comes. Yep. You, you got to go. First jury duty ever. Now... Yeah. You you were going a little quick there, so I, I I might I think I missed it a little bit. When they brought you into the room and they told you the charges, were they looking for like, hey, have you ever committed first degree murder? Yeah. So really, yeah, <laughs> and or know anybody had family members charged? Oh, so or it's like a victim a, of. So it's like they're looking for like a bias Correct. situation. Yeah. Okay. So okay. So. They're looking to see if you have a bias for first degree murder or disinternment of a body, which is like disinternment or mutilation of a body. So changing the features of the face by mutilating it or removing limbs without a legal right to which anybody except for a metal medical examiner or a um, coroner or not coroner like a funeral you know whoever's involved right those are the only two like professions that would have any reason to dismember a body and this was for the dismemberment and uh some mutilation of the body so holy shit batman yeah. and for anybody <laughs> who's uh not familiar with where we're from while well, i'm in st Clair county this happened in st Clair county in port here on michigan like Talk about, yeah, maybe if you're like, oh, yeah, I'm from Chicago or like a border town in Texas where the cartel hangs out. Right. Mutilated bodies are, you know, dime a dozen, I'm imagining. But out here, it's like, I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like sitting there, I'm like thinking about this. I'm like, ah, man, I really don't want to do jury duty, but at the same time, kind of piques my interest. Right. So they start going through their interview questions. You got people like two of them. The first two that actually got dismissed, it was probably a 19-year-old girl, probably a liberal, judging by the fact that she was the only one under 50 wearing a mask still at this point. (laughs) And then a 50-year-old, 50s maybe lady, um, who also, when they brought up uh, some of the evidence or the photos of the body and everything, 
that like, oh, are you going to be able to look at it without a bias and look at it for, you know, we're not going to show you the whole trial, but you're going to have to see, um, are you going to be okay with that? And they were just flat out like, yeah, no, not going to be able to see that. So after they go through the rest of the questions, they get dismissed. So they were the couple of first ones to get dismissed over the, you know, some of the stuff. Okay. Um, you know, and I have you've never had jury. I've duty, never okay. had jury duty. So <laughs> registered to vote, man. It's it'll, it'll hit you. It'll get you eventually. Um, but hey, like like I keep telling people, if you're gonna have jury duty, it might as well be first degree homicide. Yeah, at least it better be interesting, right? Um, but backing up, like the uh, judge and everything can just do outright um dismissals, like right. exactly what he called it, but. He can just, if he thinks that they're not going to be fit for it, he can just straight up, okay, you can go. And then both the prosecution and defense attorneys can go back and forth and dismiss people. And it didn't seem like there was a limit because one of them, one of the other jurors actually kept a count. I was like guesstimating like 14 or 15 got dismissed. And they were like, yeah, it was like 18 got dismissed by the end of it. So... And then <laughs> and this is just jury selection. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yep. This isn't even trial. So that's I, that's how I ended up on the jury was I was sitting there like in the you know big group like, oh, man, like I was really hoping not to get picked coming you, in. And then now I'm like, ah, I kind of do want to be picked so I can like see what the hell is going <laughs> on. Right. Well, you know, six or seven dismissals later, they finally call me up there. And I was like, OK. Now, backtracking a little bit to what you said, like, oh, so they tell you what the charge is, and it's exactly that. If you have a family member or close friend that was victim or charged with the same murder, is they ask you, well, is it going to cause any bias? And then most likely they're going to dismiss you. So it's a little mini side story. You might have heard of this one um, a few years ago. A teacher and her husband were stabbed um, multiple times in Yale, Michigan, and the husband was murdered and the wife was on critical, um, the teacher was on critical for a long time, and it was their stepdaughter, adopted daughter, and her boyfriend and another friend oh, yeah, all colluded. That. Yep. Um, so, as it turns out, a, a gal that I graduate, well, I didn't graduate with her, she was a couple years, she's the same grade as all these kids that perpetrated this murder in Yale, she was in that same, I don't know how close of friends, but she brought it up. She's like, yeah, I was, you know, she was my teacher and I know all these kids and everything. And she made it a few more rounds. She made it almost to the end and they finally dismissed her. And I'm assuming probably on that base, but you know, that was first degree because that was all the premeditated murder and everything like that. So (laughs) the coincidence of, two Yale kids because I was aware of all that. I ran track with the kid that helped the boyfriend do it. Whoa. Um, not that I was close with them, right, but, but he was it. on my 400 meter relay team. So like, you know, we practiced together and everything. Whoa. So I'm very well aware, but I didn't mention it. Cause like, <laughs> it's not going to affect how I, you know, I wasn't right. like, he wasn't my best friend. It wasn't, I'd never had her as a teacher. I was like, yeah, whatever. So I didn't bring it up. Well, later on, this lady comes up and they're like, uh, call her last name or last names. Uh, 
I wasn't going to name a whole lot of names, but I'll name this one just because it's easy to figure out who I'm talking about. Last name was Preston. I was like, huh. It's like, that. no, there's no way. That, just no way. So then, I uh, got a little ahead of myself. When they bring the new juries up, they do. They did this whole long interview process between the prosecutor and defense attorney. Okay. And this whole long series of questions. Each one got two. So after they uh, do their long questioning and start dismissing people, they don't go through that long series of questions. They just bring them back up and they're like, oh, this is what we call the lightning round. And they do like a shortened version. But, they, you know, they ask for the record and everything. Oh, you were able to hear everybody clearly and you have any questions or objections to what they were, you know, in their process of questioning. So, you know. And then the judge does a couple like base questions. One of them, the first one that he'll ask after that is, is there any reason why you feel that you wouldn't be a fair impartial juror, you know, on this trial? And this lady who got called up was like, yeah, there's no way that I can agree with anything that the prosecutor says. My son was wrongfully imprisoned for the same reason. And yeah, there's just no way. How the it, hell was, it was the mom of the kid who murder, helped murder the teacher's husband Whoa, and the assault the wife. Oh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so I'm sitting here, I'm like, you got two kids from Yale and the mother of one of the suspects, well, not suspects, that got convicted of first-degree murder, premeditated murder, up well, there the for a first-degree murder How the fuck did she get all the way trial. to the lightning round without bringing that up? Well, she wasn't on the panel yet. She was in the pool. Oh. And as they're dismissing, they'll randomly call more out of the pool. I see. And, dude, when you get your electronic met, like uh, questionnaire for it, it's like, have you ever been convicted of a crime? And do you have any mental disabilities that prevents you from being a jerk? It's like super right. basic questions to do like an initial screening. It's those interview questions that really like filter it out. So there's no way for them to know that they selected someone who is the mother of someone who right. was a first degree murder. So judge like, boom, was like, okay, you can, you're dismissed. Like, thank you for your time and everything. And she goes, I was like, <laughs> I was like, no way. Cause that's the James, the James Preston who was convicted of that part, you know, along with the other two kids. He's the one I ran track with. Okay. So, like, I used, we were, and not just run track with, he was on the 400-meter relay team. That's where, or no, 1600 relay team. But that's where I run a lap, hand a baton off to someone, they run a lap, and there's a right. four-man team to get the 1600 meters. Okay. So, he was part of that team that we, every practice, like, I ran, you know, drills with him <laughs> on handoffs and stuff. Again, I'm not, like... Claiming that I was super tight with this kid, right, I would have but, but you knew him. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not like you didn't. You knew him. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's not like people are like, oh yeah, I went to high school with that kid. It's like, yeah, I was like on a. Like, I handed that guy a baton. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think yeah, because I wasn't the anchor. I think he was, so I think I was third. Anyway, that's irrelevant. <laughs> All right, so the girl from Yale gets dismissed. The mother of the kid from the other trial gets dismissed. What's going on now? So she leaves. What happens after that? There was like three or four more dismissals after that until finally they were both like satisfied with it. Um, That put us right up to like, I was like 2 p.m. on the first day. So and, and they jumped right into the trial. 
Wow. Yeah. Like we all thought they were going to call an early day and then just like start. But prosecutor, because in a murder trial, the prosecutor goes first. He calls all his witnesses first. And then if the defense attorney has witnesses, he calls his up. Now, during the whole, pro, you know, prosecutor's uh, string of witnesses, the defense attorney can cross-examine, and he did. So he just dives right in and, and brings in a gentleman from Michigan, uh, Michigan State Police Crime Lab that is a uh, blood identification specialist. Like okay. he goes out to crime scenes and identifies blood stains. Okay. So they jumped right into it. Now, backtracking a little bit because all I've talked about is just the char- two charges. So we broke for lunch. Like the judge was really good about it and because he apparently liked his breaks. He'd take like a break like every hour and a half and like lunch by noon and everything. So we take lunch and we come back and they must have talked it over a little bit because they're like, oh, we got to add one more question in. Like, has anybody heard of the ship named the Gray Fox? Random. You know, anything to do with that uh, and a murder on it, I guess. They said that. So that was one of the like immediate dismissals um, towards the end there. This whole (laughs) poor guy, it's kind of his fault. He was so out of shape, but he had to go all the way to the far end. And then when he got asked if he heard anything about the Gray Fox, he's like, yeah, I followed it from like start to finish. Oh, God. So he's like, "Okay, (laughs) get out of here. So then he had to crawl back across seven jurors. Luckily, he was in the back row. I was in the front row, so. I didn't have to worry about it. But that was the question. I told, like, he asked, you know, I got picked after lunch. And I told him, I was like, I I heard about a murder on a boat in Port Huron, but I don't know the name and everything like that. And he's like, okay, do you think that's going to affect your ability to be impartial, non-biased juror? I was like, no. Didn't say it like that, obviously. Right. A more like, respectful. like, nah, bro, I'm good. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so they, they started adding that in. And then once the trial actually started, they do their opening statements and everything. So the prosecutor has his opening argument and whatnot. And like through the questioning process, it's like starting to piece together why they asked certain questions. Like the prosecutor asked um, two of the main questions that he asked. One was... Now, this these sounds stupid, but they have to dumb this shit down because people are stupid. <laughs> the general public. That's who's, that's who's weighing on these decisions right. that affect people's no, lives. Absolutely. Um, one of the questions was like, uh, if, he's, if you're on a family road trip and you guys got to decide, you know, where you're stopping for fast food. Like, and it takes, whether it takes you three seconds to decide, okay, we're going to McDonald's. Or if it takes you five minutes and several miles and we're going here or here or here doesn't matter that's still deliberation and everything right basically preparing the jurors and seeing if they all agree that deliberation and premeditation can happen it there's no set time right okay because by law they don't have a set amount of time for premeditation and deliberation that's how you, you get from second degree murder to first degree murder okay is if they can prove all aspects and two of the major ones is the premeditation, so you thought about it, and then deliberation, where you basically weighed the pros and cons of it. Then that shows that you thought it out, and it's now first degree murder, premeditated okay. murder. So he was digging to see which jurors, and that's each side's like they're both allowed to do it, and you're both trying to select 
actors that'll be more favorable to them. Ah, okay. So they're trying to like feel you out mm-hmm. almost. Okay. So then his other question was, oh, is it, do you feel that no matter your walk of life, you should be protected under, you know, the law just the same as the next person? It's like, kind of weird, but sure, why not? You know? <laughs> weird flex, but all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, turns out it's two homeless guys that are involved. So one okay. homeless guy murdered the other homeless guy. So that's where he was getting at. Oh, just because this guy, there's no family there okay. for this, the, you know, victim. Um, nothing. You know, a lot of people might, there's people out there that just shut it off. Ah, it was some homeless dude that has nobody. Like, why would I care? Right. You know? And then that would be a bias and he wouldn't want you on that panel. I see. Yeah. I was a little, I'm like, what, mm-hmm. what is he getting at? Right. But that, no, that makes total sense is yeah. Okay. So that was kind of cool. Like going through this whole trial and reflecting back on a lot of those questions that they had asked you know some of them were pretty basic like like again the gore another guy got dismissed because he was a contractor and he had cut his finger off the tip of his finger right he's like yeah now i get pretty squeamish when i look at like gory stuff and (sighs) everything and i think it was he'd seen the two get dismissed because they're like i can't look at the pictures and one of his first things when the judge asked him like is there any hardship unnecessary hardship that you would incur being on this panel you know because it could take up to two weeks right he's like well i'm a contractor i work for myself and i have no crew it's just me he's like i got jobs lined up like right so and the judge didn't let him go on that wow he's like well it's your civic duty and everything you know there's other people here who you know missing out on work and stuff because they pay you i got paid 45 bucks a day yeah from everything i've heard yeah pay for jury duty is because where I'm located was fifteen dollars mileage and then thirty dollars for the day. So thirty dollars a day. Yeah. Was really All nice. that money in taxes they take from yep. us and they can't give you more than thirty bucks a day. But uh yeah, so fast forwarding to that and so I don't know how many people are gonna listen to this and be like, Oh yeah, I heard of the Gray Fox or whatnot. From like articles I looked up after the trial, because uh, I was just trying to see what if my mom had after the trial was done she was like oh yeah i saw an article in the times herald about the trials had started and everything so i looked up and all the old articles this happened back in june 2020 um but that was like peak covid right so yeah this happened during peak covid time so courts were shut down so this guy sat around for two years to wait he at least sat this. in jail, right? Actually, no. It took him about a year to find him. After really? Yep. So the timeline that they figured out best they could was it happened. They got onto this boat back in 2019, about September-ish. The one guy disappeared. Actually, the victim disappeared around september She got on the boat like late summer. Second guy got on the boat shortly after. And victim disappeared. And then in November 2019, the suspect disappeared and they didn't find him again until January 2020. No. <laughs> that doesn't track. But he he made it a year. Okay. Like, before they found him. So, 
um, U.S. Marshals out of Detroit found them in Detroit. Okay, so before we go any farther, now you said a couple of times in that explanation that like the one guy got on the boat in the summertime and then the other guy... Was this like an abandoned boat or what's the deal with the boat? So it was um, a decommissioned naval ship, a smaller one, um, that the Coast Guard sold to a private organization. Best I can tell, it's a handful of old timers that don't want to give up. The guy who was the captain of the Gray Fox was a retired naval captain. And I feel like it was just a bunch of old timers that were trying to buy boats and they happened across a decommissioned naval ship. So that really got them excited. Yeah. And they were going to try. They were doing like a sea cadet program where like if you're 13 to 17, you could sign up for it and go and learn how to work on a naval ship and okay. stuff. But this guy lives in like Clarkston. So he's only going out to this boat that's parked on the St. Clair River in Port Huron. Uh, and like right off of Griswold Street, and he's only coming up once a week. So like, and he was like, oh, you know, do maintenance and stuff on the boat, keep it clean, you know, make sure people aren't partying on it, kind of thing. So he was kind of letting people work like, on squat it, on it almost, basically. So okay. he went to a, a, a ju- not judge a uh, pastor who had a soup kitchen and found this first guy um what was his name orlo william orlo and that's the victim and so did his <laughs> this guy he's like yay big <laughs> naval captain pretty old um misremembering stuff he was not a great witness but interesting character and i feel bad for the cops having to interview him and stuff really? because this guy um so the uh, ladders in there, well, they're stairs. Well, they call them stairs. He's like, these are ladders. Like you, <laughs> if you trip and you fall, you're dead. <laughs> and of course, the prosecutor's like, strike that. Like, are you a medical professional? Like, but that was later on. But that's how the guy was. Like, if you use the wrong nomenclature on what was on this boat, he would immediately like get go on a tangent. Yep, because he's trying to be all. I'm still the captain of this boat. Right, everything. So these old timers and like I said, found this guy. So basically this guy stays on the boat and keeps it locked up when he's not there. And then, you know, once a week, the captain comes back and whatnot. So stays in the chief mate's corner. He's, he's a homeless guy that's getting room and board to work on it. So, and then the victim brings, um, the suspect, which his name's Reginald C. New Grasty. There's a name yep. for you. <laughs> uh, interesting looking character. And he brings him on board and he's staying in the lower part of the boat. And Orlo's up in the chief mate's quarters, which is ne- right next to the uh, captain's quarters. And then at one point they switch. So then Reginald's up top and Orlo's down low and then Orlo disappears. And then a couple months later, uh, Reginald disappears. And then six months after Reginald disappears, so Reginald disappears in November and June, uh, that following June, the captain had some electrical work done on an outlet down towards the bottom of the boat. 
there's a chest freezer next to it. So he plugs after the company leaves, he plugs the chest freezer in to see if it works, opens it up. Hits with an awful smell, and he looks in there, and he can't really tell what's in there. It's a body. Oh. No arms, no legs. Just rotten. Covered in blood. Yeah. And rope around it, like, or strapped around the chest. Whoa, (laughs) dude. Yep. So, yeah, after their investigation, so that would be June 2020. It would have been like January 2021 that they found uh, in Detroit on some random cross street. It was Detroit fugitive marshal's office. What happened? Did they just like randomly pick him up for something stupid? He was petty theft or something? uh, No, he was in the system. You know, they found DNA evidence and fingerprints and like, yeah, this is definitely probably one of our suspects. Maybe, you know, (sighs) so uh, yeah, the first uh witness that the prosecutor had was that guy from the crime lab the blood stain identification guy so he's going through trying to find blood um when you walk into the boat at the top part you got the galley and there's two kitchen blocks with knives and no blood on any of those oddly enough i don't know where i should go with this if i should tell you all the wounds or oh go for it fuck it so, as long as, hold on, you're not going to get in any legal trouble for any of this, no. right? Okay, cool. I shouldn't. If I do, then whatever, I guess. Well, it's on my <laughs> ass, too, because I'm broadcasting so it. So far as I know, <laughs> like, this, I wasn't sworn to any type of secrecy as long as the trial was over. So Trial's over? Trial's over. All right, we're going to go for it. Let's go so, for broke. Um, he was stabbed, and they discern uh, sharp force trauma versus blunt force trauma. Um, sharp force trauma would be, for example, a knife and right, stab you, and then that gets further categorized by like a laceration or everything. He had uh, eighty plus sharp force and a mixture of blunt force traumas. Holy fucking shit, 80. dude! Eighty. Yep. He had. What did this guy do? Go fucking rock him, sock him, <laughs> robots on this guy? They found it was thirty plus on his back. Sharp force, uh, 20 on his right arm, six on his left arm, six on his right leg, one on his left leg. Many of his ribs were fractured, but no stab wounds or anything on the front. And then he had 14 blunt force traumas to the back of the skull, plus a puncture wound on the side. Oh, my God. After that, um, his, there was tissue cut away from around his eyes, and his eyes were poked, deflated, and then his arms were removed and his legs were removed. Arms, like, just below the shoulder, legs, like, just below the groin. What a fucking retard. (laughs) Why the fuck would you go just below? Why wouldn't you go right to the joint? (sighs) He had to, so... Like, let me saw through this hard-ass fucking (laughs) bone when I could just bust it off at the joint. What a dipshit. Well, it's the femurs... Where where they were, you know, and then humorous or whatever is up here. Right. And those are like literally the four strongest bones in the body. Right. <laughs> you know? So, and they had the medical examiner there and he's like, yeah, you don't, with like a, what was available, like knife wise, you don't saw through that. Yeah. Like you no. could saw through the tissue, but when you get to that, like without power tools, you can't do a whole lot. Um, So it was... 
knife that they never found the actual knife, but then it was a fireman's axe is what they figured out the second weapon. And that's the blunt force trauma to the back of the head and the puncture wound. Because if you've ever seen a fireman's axe, there's like a long pick on the back side. And they took one of the fireman's axes and put it to the skull and that slid perfectly into that hole. Oh my God. And I was sitting there, I was like in my head, I was like, that's... You know, I wonder if I'm going to have any issues, like, later on with the deliberation because, like, the blunt force trauma. A lot of people think, because, like, you see it in movies where, like, they swing the axe and they lop a limb off and right. stuff. Axes don't work in that capacity. Like, I was splitting wood at this one year, and I was trying to knock a log that was frozen to the ground loose, and I use the axes that have a flat back on the yep. back end, and then, you know, they have the regular axe head. Oh, yeah. And I, like, golf swung it to knock it loose, and it just bounced off, and the sharp end went into my shin. Didn't break the skin. Bruised, bruised the bone for oh, yeah. six months. Yeah, I was oh, yeah. in pain in, from my shin for, like, six months. So that's where, like, he caved in the back of the skull from the head of the axe, because it's not going to cut. And same with the bones. The bones were, like, all raggedy and jagged. Like, he had to hack the bones with yeah the like he was to, chopping wood yep, yep. and it fr- you know it fractured the bones it didn't like he didn't hold the arm there and you know he would have had to cut all the soft tissue away with the knife yep and then hold that there and it's not like he took one swing and just it cleanly lopped the bone right like, he had to smash the bone think of um something with like rigid bits but then came off in little oh like, yeah yeah when i butchered deer when we get to like you know the legs and shit. You go for the joints, so yeah, that's we, what you, yeah. You go for the joints, but I, I, what I do is I, I'll take the leg and I'll lay it down on a two by four, mm. and then I'll just take an axe and chop it off at the knee. And it takes on a deer leg, it yeah. takes four or five good swings to completely separate. Yeah. And it. this guy went straight through the bone, right? So I can only so, imagine how many times he had to yeah. bash that fucking <laughs> arm to get it to cut off. So. As they're going through the galley at the top, the blood identification guy, there's a fireman's axe up there and sprays, and it's uh, liquid crystal violet. And I'm sure you've seen, like, CSI shows. It's that, like, purple stuff. Okay. No, I don't I don't know nothing about okay. this. So it's a chemical that they can spray, and if there is any blood there, um, it's got to be human blood and higher primate, and it will react with ferret blood, too. But it's called it's called liquid crystal violet. Liquid crystal LCD. violet. Okay. And that's like that bright purple that you might see on like a CSI show or something. Okay. Now, caveat to it is it reacts with the oxygen in the blood. Okay. So well it's it it's an oxidization process, so it can react with oxygen. So if you spray it and it immediately turns that bright purple color then possible blood is there. If it sits, though, for like an hour or two, then it'll start turning bright purple. So he had to go through, we went through like 140 pictures with this guy. Oh, my God. So as exciting as this trial is, there's also a lot of boring shit. Well, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the crime scene shit is yep. actually really boring. Yep. And then when you like you watch your serial killer shows and they're showing the trials, they're only showing the highlights of the trial, not not this uh, really go ha- go lucky happy go lucky nerd working at the uh, Michigan crime lab who's like super into his job 
and taking no, 140 yeah. pictures yep. of fucking liquid oh, crystal they had violet. More, they estimated like thousands of pictures that they took. Good lord. Between everybody. Right. You know, all the different parts, you know, Port Huron Police Department, major crimes, and Michigan State Police. But what they submitted to evidence was 140 or so pictures, and this guy went through each picture and this is the front of the ship in this orientation. This is where I sprayed and stuff. It was anywhere from a five-second description to a couple-minute description of wow. each picture, just depending on what was in the picture. But the prosecutor was trying to establish a layout of the ship and where you know all the blood evidence were, was found. Okay. So that was the first bit of blood evidence was this fireman's axe hanging out on the little holder leading down into the belly of the ship. So, which, you know, they wanted to point out. And it had blood on the top of the handle and where that pick comes in and, like, L-shapes to the head. Okay. So there's, you know, it's showing possible blood. They were, you know, very careful about how they worded it at this point. And then they went down. And at the bottom of the stairs is, like, a little holding area, I guess they called it. And it goes, like, straight into, uh, they called it the observational birthing area. And when they say birthing area, it's not, like, birth, like, childbirth. It's B-R-T-H-I-N-G. It's, like, it's a quarters. Okay. So, and it had three bunks in it. Um, And then you go right, and there was, like, a utility room in the bathrooms. And then another set of stairs that goes down to the engine room that had the chest freezer off to the side and everything like that. So then they move down there, and he goes into, like, the observational birthing room, and that's where they find, like, the bulk of everything. There's blood drops on the back wall of the bottom bunk. There's blood on the bunk around it. There's LCV popping, like, on the floor in that holding area. You know, it's a it's a naval ship. There's not a whole lot of, like, space right. and everything. So they, there's stuff popping up everywhere. But then they go on to explain, like, that LCV... Just shows that there was blood at some point there. Oh, now, so now, even if it was cleaned up? Yep. Even if it was, like, wiped up, even possibly even with cleaners. Like Holy even if you shit! Yeah. Now... Because before you go any farther, until that was clarified, I'm thinking to myself the whole time, like, what, did this dumbass not try and hide his tracks? Like, so that's, that's defined uh, latent versus apparent uh, blood. And latent blood would be something that's cleaned up and no longer visible to the naked eye. Apparent blood is blood that you can see. Okay. So if there's a drop of blood just sitting here, that'd be apparent. If you spray that stuff on there and it immediately turned purple, there was blood there, but it's no longer visible. Okay. So when there is only latent blood on the axe head and axe handle up, up, up top there, and it was smeared on the wall. But again, that can just be rubbed off clean well it, the axe handle was pretty clean like in the very seam of it you could kind of see some discoloration and then ain't ever really right. said whether that was apparent or if it was just grime you know from an old axe handle either way um in the for the observational birthing area there was a mixture of apparent and latent blood but blood turns like a brownish color after you know time has passed after long enough i think yep. it'll turn black yep so, you know, it's just, and there's like small drops, but this guy's trained. That's right. He's what trained he's looking to look for. for that. Yeah. So he's like marking. I mean, by the time they got done with all the markings and everything, I mean, it was like the black or not the back wall and the 
less on that, um, basically where the uh, feet would be and then where the head is and everything. Obviously, there is a ton. And it's crazy because, like, the it's a three-rack bunk. And there's probably, like, that much space to work in there. And eventually, he pulled the blankets off and there's big old blood, blood pool on the mat, like, soaked into the mattress. Really? Flips the mattress up. It was apparent that he whoever did this flipped the mattress over 180 degrees because the big stain that he found on like the back side of it matched a stain that was like the torso section um against the wall that was on it's just like a sheet of plywood underneath that mattress so there was like big pool there and then when he flipped it over that was like the original top side and there was like a pool in the center and a pool off to the side of it oh my god um, then some latent and apparent blood when you go across the hall into um, the head, which was, you know, the bathroom has a shower and everything. So <clears throat> I'm being, you know, sitting here like, OK, well, obviously this dude did get murdered here. Like, there's Whoa. no way there's this much blood and evidence like, yeah, dude. somebody got murdered here and chopped up, apparently. So that was his whole thing was just, OK, there's. Possible blood here, possible blood here, apparent, latent, whatever, and going through his pictures. And the prosecutor kind of jumped around a little bit, um, but, like, the next relevant person for as far as that was, well, I guess I could backtrack kind of how he did. Medical examiner came on, uh, I believe, right after him. Might have been a cop. The cops weren't all that. Well, yeah, I mean, what here on police department, even though it was their major crimes department was like the major unit working on this their testimony was mostly just they gathered evidence right what are they gonna say you know we kicked down the door and we found the bad guy you know we shot him dead they didn't even do that (laughs) freaking marshal service out of detroit right so oh and they also found double wrapped garbage bag with a bloody gray blanket and a bloody t-shirt in a like stackable washer and dryer before you walk into the galley so like before you even get inside it's like in a little alcove thing and then like the door to the galley and then a stackable washer or dryer is like kind of partially exposed to the elements and open it up and there's a garbage black garbage bag in there and it's double bagged and they open it up and you know apparent blood on all this stuff okay so and then later on they also found a big blue laundry bag that had a gray hoodie a gray sweatshirt it wasn't a hoodie fleece one that was like from here down just brown so from from elbow 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 to to wrist blood and then a pair of denim jeans that like imagine if you're carrying a five gallon bucket of water and you accidentally tipped it like onto your jeans like okay so the front from full front yeah from basically your balls to your feet okay you know your quads knees all the way down to your shins just all apparent blood oh my god um two different pairs of shoes that both had blood stains on them and everything and that all got sent to michigan state police crime labs and everything so and that was found now i can't remember specifically where on the ship but uh the captain and some other guy of this organization had eventually gone into that chief mate's quarter where Grasty, the suspect, had switched to living in there. And they 
the guy had been gone for a couple months, so they just packed everything up in the laundry bag and a garbage bag and shoved it in a storage room just in case the guy came back because they didn't know. Right. Uh, and also crazy about all this, like they're finding all that latent blood and you're asking like, so even if it's cleaned up, they can like spray this on there. Dude, they, they're like, yeah, we've power washed like most of these areas like three times since the guy got murdered and the body was found. Holy so they're down there like power shit. washing because the, the naval ships, they just have drains everywhere. So like when you go to deep clean this stuff, you just bust out the power washer and Power just wash. spray down the whole yeah. inside of the ship, yep. and it runs down the walls to the hard floors, <laughs> and right down the you know drains and out you know through bilge pumps. Unknowingly, the captain and the other guy in this organization are here, like washing away some evidence. So that was kind of yeah, that's <clears throat> that's sketchy, yeah. man. I'll touch on that later too because they try and bring that up um, towards the end, the power washing and whatnot. But yeah, so they find all this latent blood, but it's been cleaned up. So like you can't really see. And that's like the goofy thing, like when you watch like serial killer shows and CSI stuff. Like, oh yeah, this blood spray shows that they got hit in the face, did a 360, fell this way, uh, hit their head there, and this is what these drops of blood. Right, they right. Bring, they bring out the uh, specialist for blood spatters, and she could tell some of the apparent blood. None of the latent blood, because if you wipe, so like if I took, a, you know, if I murdered someone and there's blood on the wall, it could be three drops of blood on the wall. And if I wipe with a rag, I'm wiping that blood all over. Yeah, you're and when they spray, it. Yeah, yep. and when they spray it, it'll look like this big, bright purple smear across there. Yep. And they know that's, well, there was blood there at one point, but right, we okay. don't know how the splatter was. They can test for DNA. DNA could still be present. But they can't test for, or well, they can't, you know, observe and see if right. It's it was not a like spray a splatter. It's, if it it's, was, it's not like in yeah. CSI where they give you like yeah the flashback scenes of how it happened and yep. and the guy's narrating. He's like, and then she stepped into the corner and he shot her and the blood spray, you know, yep. and it shows it on the yeah, fucking wall. Exactly. Yeah, they can't do that no. by a smear. No. no, if it was a perfectly preserved scene. And an ex, you know, blood splatter expert came in. They could, they could figure, yeah, <clears throat> but, but not when scenario, it's been wiped up, yeah. And even the apparent blood, uh, all the surfaces along the walls around the bunk were like kind of a weird, like corrugated, like white material. So like the splatters, you can't even tell like directional and right. stuff like that. So they have um, splatters, uh, which is in. They got impact, which is like when something obviously strikes. And, and it sprays. shoots out. Okay. Uh, cast off. So, like, let's say you had a fireman's axe and you were smashing someone's skull in, and on your backswing, it swung it, off. Yeah. And, okay. Blood came off. And then aspirations if, you know, the guy you're brutally murdering and dismembering, like, coughed up blood. Right. They could also tell if it was perfectly preserved. But she's looking at this crime scene six months after the fact. That's been power washed three yep. times. Now the bunk room wasn't power washed because they didn't bother taking the, like, you'd have to take the mattresses off. Right. They, the old dude didn't do that. He just, like, power washed the holding area um, and, like, the stairwell and shit, like, like, the other areas that had, you know, pops for blood, but they couldn't really tell. So... The blood splatter, splatter expert was kind of lackluster, I guess, because she's like, 
Yeah. At least in the bunk room, she could tell there was splatter, but that's as far as she could say. Right. Couldn't say if it was cast off, impact, aspiration. She just could, she could at least say it was splatter because there's also swipe, uh, transfer, you know, other categories. And then you can continue to subcategorize based on how well preserved the scene is and everything. And she couldn't. She could only do the basic categorization for the apparent blood. And obviously nothing for the latent. Right. Zero for that, which I would guesstimate probably 70% of the blood evidence, 70 to 80, was latent. Oh, Jesus. Mm -hmm. So it... It sounds like actually this was kind of a tough case to prosecute then because of all the destruction of evidence. I was I was really concerned at the beginning. I was like, I'm going to sit on this jury. Backtracking again, the main question or main thing that uh, the defense attorney pointed out was by law, if you can't prove, well, he had two things. One, he's like, I can sit here and twiddle my thumbs because he's like, the burden of proof is on the prosecution. Yep. I don't have to prove anything like innocence and, you know, innocent until proven guilty. It's up to the prosecutor to prove every step. And then you furthered it by saying like, well, we're pointing out that by law, if he, they, if there's, you know, any reasonable doubt to any of the five steps for premeditated murder in first degree, we have to return a not guilty verdict. Right. So then I'm sitting here like, well, how do they, how are they going to place premeditation and deliberation on this guy? And then like each day, some of my concerns got, you know, validated. And then I have other concerns like, okay, well, you can prove this, but how are you going to prove that <clears throat> kind of thing? Right. And like the blood splatters and stuff like that. The one that was one of the most prominent was the DNA specialist. The only there's only three contributors, and it was the captain, uh, Orlo, the victim, and Reginald Grasty, the suspect. Okay. So there was no other contributors. Um, and then for the blood stains and everything like that, uh, the captain was like popped on like one or two things, like very minor. Yeah, he probably like nicked his finger on. Not something even. And it wouldn't even it. have to be blood. Like, right. But yeah. And then everything else for these two guys. Wow. So, and there's, it's, the DNA stuff was crazy because then it's all these probabilities and they run it through a program that assesses these probabilities. And it's like, so, okay, there's two contributors uh, in this spot that they swabbed and sent in. And it is, they're like, oh, it's septillion times more likely that it's George Orlo and one other contributor than it would be if it was two unknowns. What in the fuck is a septillion? <clears throat> 26 zeros or some crazy shit like that. I've never even heard of that number. It this is, is literally the first time yes. I've ever heard of that number. Yep. And then it would be the second contributor is grasty octillion times more likely that it's Grasty and Orlo and not two unknowns. So, and that's, they could do it. She's like, again, they're like trying to explain this very layman's. So they, right. They get an expert up there. They're like, Oh, do you recognize this document? Oh, it's my 
curriculum or something like that. It's a fancy way of saying resume. Um, okay, okay. Can I admit this into evidence? Judge asked defense attorney, do you have any objections? This guy didn't object to any of the evidence. Uh, okay, we're submitting that. And then, oh, how many times have you been recognized as an expert by courts of Michigan, more specifically 31st District Court, this court? Oh, X amount of times, judge, we the people move to... Yeah, all the court <clears throat> yeah. jargon is at this, in this to day quantify this person as an expert. <clears throat> okay, we're going to see the, this person as an expert, you know, recognized as an expert in this field, blah, blah, blah. So she comes, and then... Then they'll ask, oh, what it is that you do? Like, what is what is your process for this? And it's like, oh, you're going to ask this lady who, you know, has some crazy science degree who is talking like I extracted DNA from this sample. And now I'm talking in like trillions, septillions, octillions right. of stuff. But <clears throat> she's like, yeah, I could I could figure this out and like match it. It would take me weeks for one sample wow or i can have this computer program which cool fun facts um michigan started and now like all crime labs are using it they even had to this computer program yeah this program that does the like the probabilities of you know the um samples and okay because it's all based on statistics and probabilities and everything but you're talking again it's set like i said it's septillion times more likely that right. it was him and not some rando in a second person. So more or less, they run it through a huge algorithm. And, yep. Okay. And it can figure it out like that versus a person. If they were going to try and figure, it would take it, weeks it just and weeks be, yeah, and weeks. Right. It's kind right. of this, it's like uh, how they used to preserve DNA um, back in late 70s early 80s and stuff because they knew they could do something with it but they didn't have the technology because you can sit there and look at a dna strand by your human eye and start discerning it but it's so long that it would take you right amount of years or whatever to break it all down and now we have computers that can do it in seconds if not like nanoseconds so basically so, the computer figured out that that this matches you know they took swabs from the decedent, as they like to call him. Um, Why? Orlo. That's just how, that's their terminology. It's decedent. Deceased? Decedent? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. I'm like, what the yeah. fuck does that even mean? They don't mean? call him by the name, like, especially, like, the, you know, the scientist working in the DNA lab, like, was never oh, there. the deceased? Yeah. Oh, because you said deceded. Decedent. Decedent. Yeah, they don't even call him the deceased. Nope. They call him the decedent. Yep. So what the like, fuck? Yeah. So yeah, um, she was the one that was I feel like really pivotal, pivotal for the whole thing because she proved that you know it was those two's DNA just everywhere, <laughs> right? Um, and the defense attorney obviously was trying to poke holes in a lot of these, and it's. It, as best as he could and everything you know so like for hers uh he's like well you can't really tell if it was sweat or blood or semen like right. it could be any you know kind of it's like what what do you what do you really think it is like, <laughs> especially like the big pool of blood on the mattress right you know, which was only orlos right yeah. now, it's obviously blood now there was 
blood, like latent blood that popped for Reginald and not Orlo. Or it was like ultra low for Orlo. Okay. So Orlo was the guy that died. Orlo's the dead guy. Reginald, Reginald was the, the fireman hatchet guy. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there was apparent blood stains, so stains of blood that you could see, you know it's blood, and it popped for him and not Orlo. Okay. But going back to, you know, they couldn't find the second murder weapon. Um, but there were a bunch of kitchen knives. There's like twenty something kitchen knives in this entire place. There's like two kitchen blocks with knives and then a utility drawer that had a bunch of random knives too right you're talking you know kitchen knives. he could have taken that knife and thrown it in the river yeah they sent out the dive team and they didn't find anything you know they checked directly under the boat but it's st Clair river it's moving right and it's a knife also later on the captain admitted that he had taken taken utensils home and throwing it in the dishwasher (gasps) now it's one thing to like wash something you might miss but a dishwasher i to my knowledge, is pretty final, especially as as yeah, destroying if, evidence. Like, all right, if if the guy that used the knife, if the killer wiped the knife down and then thought put he it was back good, and, and thought then, he was, and then yeah, this guy takes it home, and, like, oh yeah, I'm just doing my normal cleaning once right. a week, and takes a bunch of utensils home, including this knife. He might have washed it, and that the murder weapon could have been there. Yeah, and, that finished the job. Which yeah. then, if you think about it, that dude could be like using a kitchen knife on this boat. That, That's yeah, yeah. He's he's cutting up his fucking <laughs> his seafood with a goddamn <laughs> murder knife. Yeah, didn't even think of that. Like that but, guy's soul is in the knife now, and now it's in your apple, <laughs> and you just ate that guy. <laughs> um, little random tangent. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then another one that like all the jurors were joking about how boring it was, was a, um, basically a materials transfer expert. Okay. So like if you brushed against me wearing your hoodie and it brushed against my shirt, there could potentially be fibers from your hoodie on my shirt. Sure. Okay. But his subspecialty was plastic bags. That is an actual subspecialty for this. And so we got a hold on, hold on. We got a six point slide. <laughs> I got a comment to make about yep. that. I just gotta stop laughing. <laughs> How fulfilling do you think it is to be a plastic bag specialist? I mean, he's got <laughs> his main job, but. I think about it though. now. Like, okay, I could be dead wrong. I hope I am dead wrong, but I feel like you know how they have those lists of jobs where it's like most likely to commit suicide is like a dentist. You know what I mean? <laughs> how is the plastic bag specialist guy not like the highest okay. job on the list, <laughs> dude? If that was his like only specialty, yeah, I would say he's probably top ten. <laughs> But that's his, like, sub... Fucking plastic bag special. Hi, I'm interested in plastic bags. But that's the thing. They brought him in on this case for that. Oh, Jesus. Now, as funny as that sounds, I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, tons of evidence is thrown away and, like, bagged and tossed. So what do you mean? Reason. What do you mean? Like bagged and tossed? Like when they're cleaning up the crime scene? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think if you commit a crime and you're trying to clean stuff up, you're grabbing oh, plastic oh, bags oh, and I trash see. bags. Yep. Okay. So 
you know, it was like a little episode of, you know, how it's made and everything he's talking about. So plastic bags come out as like kind of liquid and they basically make not so much a bubble, but like it has like a airflow <laughs> and it like turns into this big long tube of molten plastic. And then as it like solidifies, then they lay it down and chop it into the bags and heat seal the bottom edge and everything. But he's like, what'll happen? They don't want it to happen, but it does. Material builds up on this ring and creates what's called extrusion lines. He had other methods of trying to match them up and like some of them really like basic no-brainers. Like, you really need a degree for this, bro? Right. But it was like, oh, if there's a label on the front for hefty and this one says glad. Like, <sighs> okay, yeah, easy way to exclude that these aren't the same fucking bag. Well, from the same pack. But then it gets more scientific than that. And he's like explaining the extrusion lines. It's basically the buildup of material will create a streak on this long run of molten plastic. Then it solidifies and that line stays there. So if like I pull, like if I had a roll of plastic bags here and I pulled a plastic bag out and it had an extrusion line, the next bag in that run, you could match them up and you'd have a matching line between the two bags. And you could reasonably say... Well, this bag came from that box. And what was important about that is when I mentioned earlier, they found a bag um, in the dryer that had the bloody blanket and T-shirt. Okay. Matched the two. Okay, so I didn't bring this up. Matched the bags. They found the the limbs in plastic bags underneath the body in the chest freezer. Oh, my God. So they matched the bags up there to the bags in the limbs underneath. And then excluded the plastic bag from the guy's clothing out of his bedroom that the captain had. Yeah. So Jesus Christ. Here I am bagged, making fun of this yep. guy. So whoever <laughs> bagged, that's that's what annoyed me is like the rest of the jurors are sitting there like laughing like, oh my God, bag expert. And like, <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting here like, this is actually really important because it proves whoever bagged the limbs also bagged the clothing not the clothing just the shirt and blanket that was in the dryer and the shirt and blanket bags had reginald's handprints on it and nobody else's you're really good at the game of clue aren't you i've never played it but i feel like i would be Um, no you're right though you're absolutely right like See, I would be the guy over here like, man, can you imagine what that guy's fucking Tinder profile looks like? Right. You know, but you're like, no, you guys, this is important. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> so, yeah, we got a six point slide and a 30 minute lecture on how plastic bags are made and how you can tell if the bag came from at least the same assembly line, if not from the same box or you know, one right after another even. And he under his science, you know, science and observation it was his professional expert opinion that the bags that were used to bag the limbs were the same bags used to put the blanket and t-shirt in the dryer. That is fascinating. That's fascinating that he could figure that out. And then it again goes into, because then they brought in the fingerprint expert and they found the only prints that they found that they could identify were Reginald's and it was three palm prints and like seven fingerprints on the double-bagged bloody materials in the dryer, which then had both their DNA and, you know, both Reginald's and Orlo's DNA on these bloody materials. Wow. So you get through the bag specialist. 
What happens next? Uh, then they interview the major crimes detective from Portland Police Department. That was really me went over like, oh yeah, we also bagged you know this x amount of evidence. Ooh, another good piece too, and it was kind of the blood identification specialist and the detective brought it up and the captain brought it up. There were several slices in the concrete floor, about yay big. Okay, so say about, what, four <clears throat> inches? Yeah, so about roughly four inches, and it was, so you had that observational birthing room where it appears as where dude was murdered. Okay. But that room is probably, the space that you would have to move next to that bunk is probably two feet. Okay, so you very know, tight. By a length of a bunk bed. Right. So, <clears throat> not a lot of room to move. And we were talking about earlier, if you're trying to separate a limb, you can't really do it. Right. Now, they're in that landing area, holding area, whatever they want to call it, is just outside in that hallway at the base of the stairs. And they found these, again, marks, slashes in the concrete. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay, so, hold on. If the answer to this question is yes, then let's get to it. But if the answer is no, I need an explanation right now. Do you ever find out, like, what exactly happened and why? No. Damn. Right. So, and that was one of the prosecutor's points, I guess, in his opening statement, was we don't have to prove motive. Like, there's going to be questions in this entire scenario that you'll never have answered. You know, but what we're here is to prove that that, he that did man it. did what we're saying he did. Okay. So, no. And another point that the defense attorney made was legally his client doesn't have to go up and testify. And that defense attorney did not call a single witness. He cross-examined all the prosecutor's witnesses, but didn't call his own witness and didn't call the defense okay. or his client. Right. As a witness. Now, because by law he doesn't have to testify, the prosecutor can't call him up to uh, as a witness. And that's is why. what I assume. Yep. Um, but it, obviously he could. Well, I guess it wouldn't be so much that he calls. It's he's going up to testify for himself. And that was one of his questions. Like, would you be biased towards my client if he chooses not to testify, which is, is his right by law? Um, would that make you think that he's guilty, you know, and he asked all the jurors that and everything because oh his game plan was to not have this guy who I think is a sociopath <laughs> by the end of the trial. Right. Um, and I'll go into more detail when I get to the end, um, about why I think that. So, no, I never find out, Fuck. you know, the only way anybody's ever going to find out is if someone feels so inclined to go interview the guy and the guy spills the beans. <sighs> okay. Um, Let's take a break real quick. Mm -hmm. And then when we come back, I want to wildly speculate for like 10 minutes on what the fuck went down because my mind is going through numerous scenarios right now. So we'll be right back. You ready? Yeah. All right, we're back. All right, so... I want to take like five or ten minutes and just wildly speculate okay. about. I'll let you. Ex I'll let okay. you speculate, and then I'll give what like, I think happened after I okay. get towards the end there. 
So these two homeless dudes are living together on a boat, right? Now, you made the comment earlier about you think the one guy's a sociopath. Now, people become homeless for... Uh, uh, All kinds of reasons, you know? Yeah, a, a, a gamut of reasons. I was homeless at one point when I was younger. Um, so, but that being said, to me, it sounds like at least the murderer, if not both of these guys, were more of the, like, vagabond, vagrant types. Yeah, I mean, you you're know what I mean. Living on a decommissioned naval ship, and that's like their primary residence. You well, know? You, right, but I mean, to be fair, like if I was homeless and somebody offered me a boat to live on, I'd probably would, live on yeah. it. You know what I mean? Uh, but, they talked about it not being heated, and they just use space heaters. Like, yeah, it's still better than being out under a bridge. Right. Given it, given the scenario of everything, I think it's safe to assume that these guys are probably, or at least the murderer, maybe the murdery. Are both vagrant types. Yeah. But they got to be. See, that's the weird thing is they got to be like at least somewhat articulate. Right. To talk to even as old and I don't want to say with not with it, like the the captain. It's just, you know, your old timer kind of guy like has to pause, think about stuff, you know, kind of thing. But he still talked to these guys. He wasn't retired naval captain, like actually ran a ship. And if he's got enough money to buy a decommissioned naval boat, he's probably organization. But well, yeah, but he's probably one of those like old people that wants to help people. You know what I mean? Like these guys are at a soup kitchen and had a pastor vouch for them and stuff. So see, that's what makes it even worse is that they had a pastor vouch for. No, the pastor was never up on the witness stand or anything like that. So, but that's like a character witness thing, I guess. And what's the point of? Yeah, but. So, okay, so these guys are living on this boat. I would be willing to bet they were probably, like, cool with each other for a little while. And then, like, when you live with anybody that you don't really know for longer than a couple of weeks, you start to learn their personal habits. You know what I mean? They probably, probably the guy that murdered the other guy just got sick of his shit and was crazy enough to kill him. You know what I mean? And they probably got into an argument, went their own ways. The sociopath murderer probably sat in his room and was like, I'm going to kill this motherfucker. You know what I mean? And then he goes and grabs a knife, grabs the fucking axe and does his deed. Here's the thing. Like, so when I say like the guy disappeared, I forgot this. Um, They found a jacket in the galley. A yellow rain jacket and had all of Orlo's information okay. in the pocket. And it had a receipt for the reason they know what time this guy got on the boat. And it goes back to the old timer, the captain. They kept he kept a log, like a ship's log, which was normal for a naval <laughs> ship. Right, but I mean, come on, man. <laughs> this guy, you know, again, another insight onto how this guy thinks he's sitting there this is a federal document this can be admitted into court as a legal document and it's like well it was admitted into evidence as a legal document document. not because (laughs) you know it's one thing when it's an actual active military vessel and they have to keep logs but this guy's just like trying to live the life still you know right but he did log every time he was in there and when um so orlo the victim 
would log every once in a while and reginald never logged so the last log was like september 15th um 2019 was the last log of orlo being on the boat and then the receipt was for some store in port huron i forget what um for december like oh mid mid-december okay so that guy left the boat in september and was still alive mid-december and then sometime between december 30th and january 11th i believe is when reginald stopped showing up in the locks so reginald left the boat sometime after that receipt ended up on the boat okay so the receipt proves that he was alive and the fact that all his all of his cards not just the receipt like it's all of his cards a jacket ended up on that boat and then i'll touch back on that when i give you what right. i think happened so what do you think happened <laughs> I, mean, I can say now i mean um okay might as well since i've been building up to it so you got these two guys you got the one homeless guy who gets on the boat first orlo the victim and he's up in the chief mate's cabin and so he's like oh he was my engineer and everything again this guy's like trying to act like this is some well tight ship and everything it's the homeless guy he's offered room and board on to keep it dusted (laughs) you know essentially make sure it's not sinking in the sinclair river um i mean these guys he he showed them how to turn the water on and that was like kind of a big point that the defense attorney was trying to fight the prosecutor on like oh well you said there wasn't (laughs) running water on there you said there is and like the captain's like as much as i'm riding the you know making fun of this guy he, I do feel bad for him because, like, he kept getting yelled at by the judge, and you could tell his memory wasn't as sharp as it used to be. Right. Um. But like, you know, the defense attorney's like, "Oh, you told the cops when they interviewed you the one day that they hadn't had working water on it since 2018," and he's like, he, "He, he's like, well, that's not like entirely true." And they're like, "Well, answer the question, yes or no." <sighs> It's like, well, yeah, you went on. He, yeah, I went on record and said that, but that's not exactly right. Is what he was. I know what he was getting at. Right. But he's having a hard time articulating it. Basically, he accidentally told the um, cops that there wasn't working out water on it at you know since 2018. That's not true. It's the auto stop for the pumps. It has two 5,000 gallon tanks of potable water, and then it has a pump to pressurize the system okay. and send water so you can shower run sinks clean right. which is obviously pivotal to the case because if there's no one running water how did reginald clean it up before the captain came back right. right so the defense attorney's trying to prove just by what he had told the cops initially and he's trying to correct but he's just trying to stop it at the yes or no answer oh no so, but he went out, you know, then the prosecutor, the prosecutor came back up to re-examine the witness because you can do that um, and got, you know, let him clarify the auto stop for the pump stopped working. So the water shut off because if you just leave it on, it'll overpressurize the system and blow a pipeline. Okay. So he showed both the victim and suspect when they were on their working together and everything how to turn it on so when you need to use the restroom when you need to shower turn it on do your stuff do dishes whatever turn it back off so they had access to running water so that was important but they were trying to like put that off 
anyway, so the logs on there shows him leaving November. Receipt shows that he was still alive early December. And then Reginald leaves. And then it's picked up six months later, year later, by the fugitive surface. Um, year later. Basically a year later. Because that was end of December, early January 2020. He was picked up January 2021. Body was found June uh, 2020. Okay. So... What I think happened, because they did that room switch I was telling you about early on. Yep. Because Orlo was the first one there, and he was like that. And then Orl left. And I guess there was some hiccup. He got drunk. Captain's all, that's, you don't get drunk on naval ships and set down a log. Guy left. <laughs> what I think happened, because when the captain's not there, the you know, Reginald has the key to the door. And what would happen? The captain testified, and you know the the whole him having the bad memory and whatnot. Like that's what the defense attorney was trying to rip apart. But he's like, when I showed up, I would have to bang on the door to get Reginald to let me in. It's because it's not like a traditional lock. It was from what they described was like a chain with a pa- like padlock type okay. on it. But you could spin that around and lock it from the inside. Okay. And then even though the captain has a key to that padlock, he can't access that. So he's like, yeah, every time I go there once a week, I would have to bang on the door and Reginald would have to let me in. (sighs) And the prosecutor put like, it's like, okay, so you could not get on that ship unless Reginald let you in. Oh, boy. So what I think happened is Orlo came back after he left, was down there sleeping, whatever, chilling in his bunk. And Reginald's like, this motherfucker's not taking my room back or working back out of here. We'll never know. This is my wild speculation and everything. And went down there. And what I pointed out when we're in deliberation, it doesn't matter if he went down with both the knife and the axe or if he went down with the knife and walked back up the stairs for the axe because that was another important part. There was no blood. There was an axe holder down in that hallway before the observational birthing area, but no blood and no axe. The bloody axe was up in the galley. And the captain said he removed it because if kids went down there and were out of sight of anybody, he didn't want the axe available to Right. So... You, you would have to be upstairs to get the axe. You know, the only other, you know, there's a handful of other axes, but same thing. You'd have to go to another part of the ship, but that would have been the easiest, closest, most accessible right. one. So, again, it doesn't matter if he went up, grabbed the knife, went back down, you know, back and forth to get both or took both at the same time. But he went down there, stabbed this dude 80 plus times plus blunt force trauma i drug the body in the hallway again speculation right this is all speculation at the moment based off of the evidence presented drug the body into the hallway and then after that i really don't know he could have went and cleaned himself up in the bathroom first hid the body in the chest freezer first but dismembered the body right there in that hallway that's those slice marks yep because i was thinking about it i was like even though that room, that area has more room to maneuver, it has enough room to get some oomph behind the axe. Right. There's still not enough to leave the body in that position to hack here, here, and down at the legs, right? So that's why all the slice marks, there's probably eight or nine of them, were all in the same, like, one-foot diameter yep, spot. Yep. Because he was shifting the body over to be able to swing you know, and as you dismember the limbs, 
it gets easier. Yeah. Yep. You know, you, it's you just know, you like cutting one up a log. One, yeah, you take the one limb off. Now you can. Now you got room to, you know, readjust <laughs> and like you take the other limb. Yep. As morbid as of a comparison yeah. as that is to make, that's exactly the comparison. Took you know the fleece blanket off, fleece blanket and the t-shirt that was found. They never tested the t-shirt. They tested the blanket and it had both their DNA on it, and that's what was found in the double bagged trash bags that were in the dryer. Okay. So that was probably the blanket off of the bed, and then either the victim's t-shirt because it didn't seem like he had a t-shirt on. Or was the T-shirt underneath the sweatshirt that Orlo was, or not Orlo, sorry, Reginald was wearing. And then, you know, the shirt, and they tested. There's two, you know, you can test, and I forget what it is. One's a swab and one's a stain type test, and one is for the blood on the outside, and one's for, like, DNA on the inside. And it really doesn't matter at that point, because if you think about it, blood would soak through and be on the inside sure, anyway. So sure, sure. So, but both DNA was found on the bloody sweatshirt and jeans and shoes. Two different pairs of shoes, and there's no shoes found with the body. And, yeah, so the T-shirt was up there. So I think after he chopped them up, there's, you know, got them into the chest freezer, did the bagging of the shirt and the blanket. He went and changed his clothes and just booked it out of the room, and that's why... The chief, the captain was like, "Yeah, his room just dirty laundry laying everywhere, and like I'm saying, that blood will turn brown. So, like, if you're in a dimly lit room and you're like clean, you know, just tossing some dude's yep. clothes in, just looks like soiled clothes. Yep, you know, yep. exactly. Unless you really, really, really know what to look for. Yeah, it just looks like oh, that's like a mud stain yeah. or something. And it was yeah. um, the blood stain analysis investigator guy." inadvertently testified like it wasn't a specific question asked to him he just talked about he's like yeah i was oh, sorry about the overexposure on some of these pictures when we first started taking pictures it was so dark in there that when his flash goes off it overexposed so they brought in work lights okay like, this is all dimly lit think of a naval ship right like you're only gonna be so well lit so and that was one of the hang-ups in deliberation why did this guy like bag bloody clothes it's like well, that's easily explainable why, right? you know, if you're just cleaning up a homeless person's clothes, right? Yeah, I'm putting gloves on, too, and chucking it into a laundry bag. And if he's a nice guy, which sounds know, like he was, yeah, he didn't th- just throw them away. He just bagged them up and put them in a storage room because he had space, you right. know, just in case the guy came back. You know, he hadn't he's like, yeah, I had no contact with them. And I feel like if he had had contact with them because these guys did have cell phones. The, the homeless guys yeah. did? Okay. Then they would have presented that as evidence. Like, well, you're saying you never talked to this guy, and here's cell phone records that you did. Right. So, And they didn't present it, so I assume there was nothing there to present. Yeah, that's wild, man. So, yeah, all that that was pretty much all the evidence. Like I said, they brought the detective who was on lead from the major crimes unit, but he didn't really have a whole lot. He kind of just ran through the layout and what they did as far as their investigation but it wasn't really right anything serious because they're not equipped they don't have a lab every all the evidence that they could send and it's all restricted like well restricted to a point like they can send depending on what the crime is they have set limits of what they can send to be tested because they had you know maybe 50 pieces of evidence that they could have sent 
well heck you could swab every everywhere where they saw blood stains and then michigan crime lab would have to do that for that one case and then every other case for the entire state of michigan yep so they set limits so they work with michigan state police um and decide what is the most pivotal you know pivotal pieces of evidence that should be tested okay so and it was that gray sweatshirt the jeans the axe um they tested a bunch of the knives and got all negative results on the knives um the blood stains on the mattress and a lot of the wall stains but they're only taking like one swab from each like well this south wall and this utility room door okay okay um there was some shower like they didn't have doors when you go into the rest facilities there there was a sink to the left there was a toilet and they had a shower curtain and then a shower to the right and shower curtain and then there was like a third shower curtain for extra privacy on the toilet i guess so they took all three shower curtains and okay there was some apparent blood and it showed again just the the only contributors were 95 percent of the time orlo and reginald and not and then like again one or two times it was the captain which is very you know when you're talking that amount of dna evidence in the entire thing when it's only those two people it's like it's pretty yeah obvious what happened so you know and this is pretty quick and like i said like in the beginning i was like how is he gonna prove premeditation on this like this is not even just the trial like your guys's investigation happened six months after the event you know right incident plus another six months to catch the guy and then sat now you know another year before the goes to trial like how are you gonna prove that the evidence is definitely i mean it's that's a tough case because it seems cut and dry, but yeah. at the same time, ethically, you have to go based on like. Correct. And that was my hang up was I, I, you know, I wanted to be like, I want to be by the book on it. And it's like, yeah, the evidence points to that, you know, Reginald killed Orlo on this boat. But how are you going to prove all five steps to where I legally, you know, if you can't prove all five, then legally we have to. Right. Right, exactly. Dude, and with, they're not guilty. Even though we know this guy did it. With it being like shaky, now, questionable evidence at, 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 to a to a degree because of yeah, yeah now, six six months to a year between it, murder and investigation, that's like in my mind, that would almost be grounds for dismissal right there, because it's like you've got no evidence. Well, I mean, obviously the DNA evidence was right. pretty strong, right. you know. So, <clears throat> luckily, by the time we got to the end and they established everything, I was like, "Yeah, this is pretty obvious." Like even the premeditation, because to me, the time it takes to go from upstairs down into his bunk room with a knife and or axe is long enough is long to, enough think to about sit there it. and think about what you're about to do. Yep. And then stabbing the dude 80 times, cutting away tissue from his eyes, poking out his eyes and then dismembering them. Like, come on now. <clears throat> here's, here's my only thing with that though. Here's where I would be questionable on the 80 times is that 
I feel like intent would be now granted a lot of people don't know how to kill somebody with a knife that's fair you know efficiently cut the throat stab them in the heart the quick ways to do it you know a lot of people don't know that well the bulk of the wounds were in the back and then right arm so the way he's facing his head is south feet are north so that's him laying on his left side and then right arm has the bulk of the defensive wounds. That's another thing that the medical examiner was like, most wounds up here and everything are of a defensive nature. And he had 23 oh, stab Jesus. wounds in this arm and six on this and no stab wounds on the chest. So he was able to keep his chest pretty well protected right. while 30 plus on his back, um, you know, a couple on his legs, right leg again, and one on his left leg. So it looks like the brunt was back and right side right um, but to me it like just sounds in like five in the neck to now again i'm not defending the guy yeah but to me that many stab wounds almost sounds like a like the heat of the moment where you're just like in a blind rage just yeah. fucking stabbing as many times as you can you know what i mean but heat of the moment yeah but not self-defense i mean this guy right obviously yeah. but but again heat of the moment crime they call that the crime of passion yeah. where you're you're in a blind rage and you don't quote unquote realize what you're doing and whatnot but i guess the trump to that argument in my mind would be the guy's laying in his bunk that Sorry, yeah. and the axe yeah because it's one thing to be like, crime of passion, grab a knife and go stab somebody. It's another thing to be like, crime of passion, axe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, Wait grab, a minute. Again, two weapons. And now there's no way to know, like I said, to, uh, did he grab both and then go down? Did he grab one? Well, he would have grabbed the knife first. Um, in my and mind. Go down and go back up. In my mind, axe. it sounds like I think he took them both with him personally. Probably. But still, in. I'm inclined to align with the prosecutor, and I don't know if that makes me wrong for being a juror, but, like, you can decide to do something in a very short amount of time. Sure, and sure. just be like, you know what, I'm going to kill him, and, you know, I'll figure, you know, that, yeah, the premeditation and the deliberation, like, right there. And you can do it in a span of three seconds, three minutes, three months, doesn't matter. You still had the thought. Now, did, it wasn't like did you learn anything about the defendant as far as like did he get a psych evaluation or any you didn't learn anything the, about the def- other than I he was a homeless guy since he's on trial for first degree murder that they didn't the either I'm a they would have had to have tried to a psych right well know. yeah they would have had to and if yeah. he passed the psych evaluation then he's then fit he's for trial on, yeah. so that was a dumb question never I, mind <laughs> I, well I don't. I don't know how it works. So, again, that would be my assumption. So, I don't think that's a dumb question. <laughs> but say, but I, what I was getting at with that was, like, you, you made the remark earlier about you, you think the guy's a sociopath. I mean, was there any indication to lead you to that other than the knife and the axe? Um, the 80-plus sharp force wounds. A little bit. The mutilation of around the eyes. Okay, and, the mutilation. Well, oh, and then the mutilation of the body. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Now, actually, the arms and stuff, that was logistical. I mean, that was, he's not going in that chest freezer. Right. With 
attached limbs. So right to me, that's logistical. The mutilation around the eyes and poking out the eyes. Why? What? You know? Well, did they say if that was done post-mortem? They couldn't really tell with the body decomposition. They could tell the limbs were definitely post-mortem. Okay. And it's most likely the damage around the eyes were post-mortem. Oh, really? Yep. Okay, because um, and the medical I was going to say... did go over that, and it's just like... Maybe. Mostly it was his expert opinion and not a whole lot of... He's like, it, it's really hard to tell, but typically you don't do that type of work in the heat oh, of a murder. Oh, you know? so it wasn't like he got a lucky shot and got him in the no, eye. It was they, like he like they scrambled go, his eye like a scrambled no, egg. No, they didn't uh, go into super great detail with that. Um, but in the report, they're like removed tissue from around eye and like the eye, like I forget exactly how they worded the eye thing, but like basically deflated the eyes with a sharp instrument, which almost sounds like says, the, poke the eyes out. Right. Yeah. And it sounds like the tissue around the eye was almost like a trophy. I'm not going to go that far. Like that, but, <laughs> but what would be the point? Maybe this guy like winked at him. Like I'm, I'm coming. Oh, back, I'm coming dude. for that winking eye, yeah, motherfucker. <laughs> we don't know. Again, that's like the whole speculation, and you'll right. never know the motive of this guy. Trust me, I really want to. Like, yeah, I would love to yeah. know. Like, yeah. I would like to hear from this guy. Yeah, a play-by-play of. Like, dude, you're already, you know, yeah. you're already convicted. Like, you're going to prison for the rest of your life. So, what, what happened, happened, man? What what, what happened? So, uh, and yeah. please, you know, don't do it to me. Right? You're going to have to be, like, behind a barrier if I ever get the chance to oh, ask geez. that guy that question. <laughs> Alina's like, oh, God, you're on the jury. You're, now we're going to get murdered. And then I was like, yeah, I'm jury foreman. So, like, I'm the one who... Like stands up and reads the verdict out loud in front of everybody. Oh, geez. She's so like, you're, oh, she's like, we're definitely getting you're the now. motherfucker that uh, literally convicts this uh, guy. I didn't, I didn't convict him. I just well, eh. you get convicted by the, the jury. jury. Yeah. So, so well, um, congratulations. Have fun being dismembered. Right. <laughs> this guy ever gets out for some weird reason. <laughs> um. So anyway. Yeah, after that, we just, you know, after all that was presented, we went into deliberation. Like I said, I had my concerns because, like, to me, you know, the premeditation deliberation was there. And then, obviously, like, the easy ones, like, caused great bodily harm, knowing that it was going to kill him. And, like, a couple others that are, like, it's, yeah. Right. That are just kind of, like, you know, gimmies for a murder. Um, Now, going back to where I was like, ah, I'm really worried that, like, yeah, all the evidence points to this, but if they don't come up with the premeditation and deliberation, like, we're going to have to be not guilty. They, I don't know if it's, like, a normal thing or if they did it for this trial, but we could also convict them on the first count, which the first count was the homicide, the first degree homicide. We could also drop that down to second degree, which has no premeditation deliberation, but okay. it has lower sentencing, possibility parole, I'm sure, and then you only have to prove like three points um, or like two points, I think, for the uh, disinterment mutilation of the body. And it's that they did it after it was, you know, a dead body and that they did it without legal right to, which okay. homeless guy on a boat doesn't have a legal right to chop a body up. And yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that one was easy. I went into deliberation. Well, we went into deliberation and I was like, well, nobody volunteers like I'm going to volunteer. 
So it's like, honestly, if Chaston listens to this, whatever, he was all gung ho about his um. He did uh, that one self defense. Yeah, with I the remember gun. that trial. And he's yeah. like, yeah, I was the foreman and like everything. I was like, well, all right, I'll raise you one like <laughs> gun felony self defense thing where nobody died or were even shot, you know, uh, and. Here's a, me being a foreman on a first degree homicide. Uh, <laughs> and part of it, I just, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to be a better suited than. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, good so, for you for stepping up. No. So, and it went exactly that way. Like, someone's like, well, is there any volunteers? And like, I looked around, no, like, everybody's like, you could just see it on their faces, like, not me. <laughs> and I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> they're like, really? I was like, yeah, but unless anybody else really wants to do it, like, I'll go for I'll it. I'll go for like, it. They're like, nice. good. All right. Good for you. Um, and so at that point, I was pretty confident in, you know, the premeditation and everything. So I was like, but I don't know how the rest of these guys were. Like I said, like, they're all making fun of the plastic bag guy for being a plastic <laughs> bag guy. I'm like, well, that was actually pretty important, proving that his fingerprints were on the same bags taken from the same box that the limbs were. Right. So, you know, and then just the blood evidence. And I was going to do the dismemberment first. I was like, well, let's do the easy charge first because that only needs two points. I was like, and I did it just old school, like show of hands who thinks he's, that's how I'm like playing this out in my head. I was like, well, I'll just do show of hands. Like who thinks he's guilty on, you know, the second count for the dismemberment. Well, everybody got in there and just immediately started going in on like, oh, homicide and like having their little, you know conversations right. amongst themselves and everything we got the stack of the evidence that was emitted um and whatnot and then you know after like everybody talked for a couple minutes like i was sitting kind of listening chiming in on some of the conversations and everything and i was like well let's do it this way i kind of changed my game plan a little bit so i was going for the first count but i was like since we had two different charges we could deliberate on whether it's first degree or second degree i was like let's i was like let's see how everybody's feeling about do we all think that he murdered this guy you know so not even think about the charges right now right it's first degree, let's do we all think that he at least murdered the guy that's a smart way to start because you get everybody on like a general consensus yeah right you you feel yeah, out could, the room right you know, away and if it was unanimous that everybody thinks that he murdered him then we could attack that or right. if we had someone who was like, I don't think he murdered him, then we could attack that first. Right. You know? Because that's a huge that's a, that would have been like a whole nother snowball. And we had everybody but one raise their hand. It was like <clears throat> probably this 50 mid 50s lady. And she's like, I just have some questions on this. So then everybody was jumping in and I was trying to not let too many people start talking because I was like, well, what is what is your questions on this? And she was hung up on, oh, there could have been someone else there. Like, I think this lady watched too much, like, Murder, She Wrote or oh, something, geez. you know. Um, She's hung up on whether there was someone else there or uh, also, like, the log, the captain, <laughs> the captain's log, the boat, the ship log. And she's like, well, we can't really trust the ship log. So saying that, like, there could have been someone else involved in this whole thing. And, of course, you got, like, a bunch of the other people, like, jumping on her and, like, oh, well, you know, that that log isn't that bad and all this and everything. And I was, like, hold on. Like, 
But you do realize the DNA evidence, the scientific evidence, has only two contributors. On the murder weapon, it has the dead guys <laughs> and the alive guys' DNA. Uh-huh. Nobody else's. The blood in the bunk, the massive amount of blood. Two people, dead guy, alive guy. Right. Like trying to drill home like the scientific evidence corroborates the fact that there's nobody else in the log. So, yeah, the log, if we're going just off the log, I would have the same issue that she does. But I'm basing it off of there's a bunch of DNA evidence that people testified to. Now, maybe they... Maybe it's some conspiracy and this guy's a government agent and they're framing him. I don't know. I don't think so. I think that no, this guy murdered the dude and did his best cleaning up and made it a year. Right. And everything. So that took Yeah, that actually took probably close to like a half hour. Just to, to convince this lady? Well, towards the end of it, she was saying she's like, Well, I think he I think he did kill him. I was just saying, like, there's just there's just some inconsistency inconsistencies there. I'm like, yeah, but we're just it doesn't matter because I was like, I was pointing out, oh, because she also mentioned, and also I'd mentioned, like, oh, why is he power washing? I'm like, okay, let's entertain that for a minute. You know, the captain and this other guy are right. power washing the boat. I was like, maybe the captain realized something bad happened there, saw blood. Even if the captain saw, maybe Reginald didn't clean up any blood. And he went down there, and there was just blood everywhere. Right. And this guy didn't want his ship shut down and everything, and he power washed everything. That's bad. You know, that's deliberately tampering with a crime scene, and that's a crime in and of itself. Yep. Irrelevant to what we're trying to prove. Like, he didn't kill him. There's no DNA evidence that says, oh, yeah. Also, the captain's DNA is all over this axe and this knife or in there. Exactly. So whether he was knowingly or unknowingly destroying evidence doesn't matter. There's still plenty enough as evidence beyond a reasonable doubt to say Orlo was murdered by Reginald. Right. You know, and then she had another hang up on the laundry bag and she's like, well, and this was just like she was confused about what they were saying. She's like, well, they're saying there was transfer of DNA in there. And they're like, they never said that. Like, we all eventually, once once we sussed out, like, what she was trying to say about the bloody sweatshirt and jeans and the laundry bag, <clears throat> we're like, no, they never they never said anything about, blood like, blood transfer. Because she's like, well, how would there be blood transfer if it's dry, but then they're power washing, and it's like, no, 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 no. Like, they didn't power wash the clothes. Like, the clothes went in there, right. and it doesn't matter whether dry or not. There could be transfer, but... That, again, back to the irrelevancy part, doesn't matter if there was transfer, the main two pieces of clothing that prove someone was murdered, that amount of blood and everything, had whose DNA? <laughs> ding, 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 dead guy and alive guy. Right. So, and I reiterated a bunch of times, like, we're not teaming up on you because that's another big part of, like, a jury deliberation. Like, you can't bully other jurors right. and everything. So I was like... She's like, okay, yeah, all right, yeah, it all makes sense and everything. I'm like, are you sure? Do you have any more questions? Because, like, we can't, like, we'll, we'll figure it out. We can we can be here for the next week if we had to. <laughs> Not that I wanted to be. Right, but no, you have to be, eth- when, yeah. regardless of 
But I don't. If someone has legit questions or concerns about it, I want to know and not just make them right. feel like because oh, well, the other eleven people in the room are saying one way. That's that's the right way to approach it because ethically, the jury has to come to a consensus, but. The jury, each juror has to agree with that unpressured. It has to be an unpressured, unbiased decision because you're literally deciding whether someone goes to jail for the rest of their life. Yeah, that's we're probably if she had been able to have legitimate reasoning to not do premeditated and everything like that. Then it would have been second degree, but that's a chance of parole and everything. Right. So that guy could eventually get out. Or if she somehow was like poked a giant hole that everybody agreed in or just never came around. I mean, it's got to be unanimous regardless. I mean, even if if we could never convince her. But yeah, at the end, she's like, "Okay, well, that was just my questions on it. And you guys covered it. And, you know, I asked her probably like three or four times, like, you sure? You sure? Yep. So we ended up having the deliberation in about an hour. So we, we ran a little bit late. Usually the court gets out at like 4.30 and it was like 4.45. Bailiff comes in like, well, you guys you think you're close? And we were like just tying up our concern on it. And everybody's like, yeah, I, th- I think we're pretty close. And yeah, like two minutes after that, got her all squared away. Then I touched on, I was like, okay, so for dismemberment and everything, did the same thing, show hands and unanimous on that. And I was like, cool. Okay, then I got a sheet of paper that has the counts on here and like mark this box for yes we the right. people find the defendant or yeah defendant uh reginald c newgrasty guilty in the count of first degree homicide in the second one or not guilty and then a little sub box underneath for second degree and then the second count the disinternment same thing right <clears throat> and i gotta x what our deliberations were sign it date it then hand it to the bit like Oh, there's a little intercom button. So I had to hit the intercom button three times. <laughs> brings the bailiff and hand him that. He looks at it. Okay. Takes us back out into the courtroom. Tells the judge, okay, like, yeah, our jury panel has come to a decision. Um, the judge is like, okay, uh, foreman, please rise. I stand up. I'm like, okay, if you can hand your deliberation to the bailiff and bailiff takes it to him he looks at it hands it back to the bailiff bailiff hands it back to me okay if you can now announce the people everything and that i was up there like we the people the jury find the defendant guilty and first you know red called uh-huh. senior grasty guilty and homicide in the first degree and then same with the second count so now there wasn't like reporters snapping pictures and stuff there was like one or two eh, one to like four people at any given time like watching right but none of them i think i don't know what the rules are but they're not anybody related to the defendant or the victim so right holy yeah. shit dude so like it's oh when i read that it's pretty much this entire time this guy's like glaring anytime they picked a juror through the whole trial and i think it's not glaring but just this plain no expression look Really? And then when I read the verdict, it was that same look. Just, just blank? Yep. Just nothing. Yeah. Now, if, on the one hand, you could say, oh, he's just had a lot of time to prepare himself. But, I mean, this guy showed no, no expression through this entire fucking thing. He's guilty. Yeah. 
I, you know, you talk about like he didn't go up and testify and not that that was any bias of mine. But when you think about it, that's the best defense is when for you, the guy. Yep. You know, so I'm looking at it more as a tactical, not as a bias. Like if I was a defense attorney and I had someone that I knew was guilty, unless they were super articulate and everything, yep. I would be like, yeah, no, bad idea. Don't go up there. You're going to say something wrong. And they're going to get and you. Boom. Yeah. So, like I said, I don't think it's a thing of guilt. It's just, yeah. Oof. So. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was just cool. You know, like, <clears throat> we don't, not cool that someone got brutally murdered, but it's not a common thing in St. Clair County. So, no. to, like, have an inside, like I was saying earlier, when I tried looking up articles, the articles were just body found on the Gray Fox. Body, body found on a decommissioned naval ship. Nothing else. Right. Didn't say a dismembered body. Didn't say, oh, we think it was a fireman's axe. Nothing like that. So to be in the trial and seeing all the evidence and the pictures, and that was wild. You see, like, gory stuff in movies all the time. but When it's real like, life, yeah, it's totally different. got to see different. a real picture of this dude, and it, it was wild. Like, in the freezer... Um, it, it must have been like dried blood and stuff. It was like a reddish brown. But dude, when it showed like the autopsy pictures, that greenish grayish like hue of like a decomposed body, which I do admit Hollywood actually gets that right pretty well. Like, really? When they have like a decomposed body, like pretty spot on. Wow. Yeah, got to see a bare naked ass of a delimbed decomposed body. It was really good. Oh, <clears throat> um, and yeah, just seeing like the medical examiner's report and everything and what exactly it would be one thing if it was like, oh yeah, some dude got in a fight and shot this guy and I was on a homicide trial, but to be I thought going back to that murder in Yale, uh I think like the husband got stabbed like high twenties and she got stabbed like high teens, low twenties. Okay. And she survived and you know, the husband died. And I was like, God, that is a lot. Like, yeah. to get stabbed 20 times, and then he's going, and then the medical examiner's like, yeah, we found 80-something different sharp force and blunt force. And the blunt force was only, like, 14. So he got hit in the back of the head 14 times with the axe. Oh, my God. And the rest, the other seven sixty six wounds were from a knife. 66 wounds. <sighs> yeah. And then there was the, you know, the pick to the brain. Yeah. I think that's counted in the 14, he said. Okay. For the blunt okay. force. Jesus Christ, I'm... man. That's, whoa. <laughs> like, we were talking, I think we were talking about this off air. I'm really glad that I went into this blind. Yeah. Because yeah, I think I, I said that. at the yep. beginning, did I say at the beginning <clears throat> that, uh, Why I asked, like, I, I was had like, no idea what. Yeah, I asked, I was like, oh, so you looked this up, you know, and you're like started trying to tell you like the the article synopsis like the mainstream media from back in 2020 uh, oh it was the gray fox and right. was you're like no nope nothing like i would just i want to go into this blind i'm i'm and, really glad that i did too because that was a journey yeah. like that was wild man holy fuck <laughs> the jury trial again boring i wouldn't uh i don't me i guess maybe i'm weird but 
I found the majority of it interesting, but I could see how people could be like, yeah, this is really boring. Like, why are I going to, like, right. you know, but because, again, it's not like a serial killer TV show docuseries where they're going to show you the highlights of the trial and then, you know, give their own synopsis of the evidence found and everything. Like, I had to sit there and get the legal, you know, nomenclature and how they, again, like, oh, state your name for the court. What is this? This is my resume. (laughs) Oh, we're going to, we move to quantify this person as an expert. Oh, we want to add this. You know, there's either packets. They also had like the envelopes with the DNA evidence. Like they had big paper brown, you know, brown paper bag that was the blanket, the bloody blanket. Did you see the blanket? No, it was in the bag sealed. Okay. But it was there. It was on the table, and they admitted that into evidence. Wow. I guess if I, for whatever reason, if we wanted to like call it in there, we could have. I could have wrote a note to the bailiff and been like, "Hey, we need this piece of evidence," which is that brown paper bag and they i assume would bring it to us they initially just brought us the pictures and the unfortunately the resumes i was like i'm gonna trust that these people aren't going up there with false resumes right and everything but it was i have a hard time to like just looking at this stuff at a glance because like when that lady was oh well you know, how do we know that someone else is there? Then, like, another person's like, well, where's that uh, DNA log, you know, DNA report? And I accidentally handed over the DNA person. Like, I saw the name, and it was, like, everything. I was like, okay, this is her report. And I handed it over, and they're like, oh, this is her resume. Like, <laughs> so then I'm looking dumb and got to go through it. Um, but, yeah, like, I handed it off. And it was actually kind of cool. We had um, the one lady on the jury. There was two of them. One was, like, a like a uh, tech at a hospital for radiology and stuff. So I like some medical background. So like she had asked for the medical report or the medical examiner's report. I was like, okay, yeah, definitely. If I'm going to hand it over to someone like, absolutely not that I could refuse to (laughs) there for that reason. But I was like, okay, yes, that's who in the back of my head was like, if anybody should be looking at it, it should be her. Right. She's going to know a lot of the medical terminology and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, you could tell just from that experience and from what I heard from Molly would be the first person that I know right. you know, closest that has been on a jury and everything and the way he explains it, I fully believe like there's some people that I could tell like if I ever run into them, it's gonna be awkward, but they're dumb, you know. <laughs> There's no way around it. Either they're dumb or they don't care. I yeah. guess. I don't know. No, I, I understand completely what you mean by that. So the biggest indicator of that is them just blowing off, again, the plastic bag thing, which is easy to laugh well, about, but it is, you know, the fact that you can recognize, like, okay, the importance of it. Right. You know, bodes well for you. <laughs> if you just, if you just, fun of this guy. If you just blankly stared at me when I talked about, like, he proved these two bags were the same, you'd be like, well, that's just dumb. Then, I'd be like, <laughs> then, yeah, right. you're dumb. I'd put, the head, I'd put the headphones down and be like, I'll see you later, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact that you're like, oh, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Like, no, you know, I, and I it, didn't explain that to any of them. I mean... I tr- you know, I threw that out there for him, but like I didn't call anybody out. I was like, right. Like, you know, I just like no, tried to 
it's good though that at least you were there to recognize that because that is that's that's important that's, yeah like i said that know? places handprints on these bags that came from and nowhere else there was no boxes that matched those bags there's no other bags on that ship so to me that says he you know that box of bags got used up right. you know in the six months because i don't think he ran out and got you know, <laughs> he bags. runs to kroger he's like hey man i just killed somebody i need to get some bags yeah. they're like oh aisle seven <laughs> Funny though, a lot of these retail workers probably would be like, yeah, yeah, aisle seven. They wouldn't even bad night blood. <laughs> well, that was that was wild, man. Holy shit! I didn't know what to expect. Like I said in the beginning, you you got a hold of me and you were like, yeah, you know, I got an idea for an episode, which. I think we we mentioned this off air too. Great idea, true yeah. car, true blah, 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 true crime. Yeah. Great idea. Had it been like uh, you know, trespassing, I probably wouldn't have called you. But well, <laughs> unless the guy got like shot or something, then it'd be like, all right, let's talk about this. So it's still uh, again, it, it, it wasn't some dude booted in someone else's door and got shot like murder trial. This is someone got stabbed. Fucking dozens of times. And then dismembered. Yep. That's always, I like throwing that one. That's the craziest thing, man. Like, like, yeah, I mean, it's one thing. I'd like to talk to the guy, like, through plate glass and (laughs) be like, all right, yeah, they got you. You're convicted. Like, what happened? What happened, dude? Right. Oh, my God. So, okay, you got this guy dead on the floor and you got the fireman's axe. Why? What made you do that? You know? Right. Like, why didn't you roll the body over the edge into the St. Clair River and let it float? That would have been way easier. Yeah. Like, way. Who knows? I, you know, I'm See, not super the, familiar with the location of the boat on the St. Clair River, but eventually that would have floated if he didn't get hung up anywhere. And then they would have to place him back right, to that boat. Right. You know? The. I will say this, though. The dismembered thing does also kind of make me think crime a passion, too. Oh, yeah. I think there was definitely passion involved in it, but I think there was enough. Again, that like, that was... Maybe, maybe he that. premeditated the murder, but he didn't premeditate how to get rid of the body after the fact. That yeah, was like, that a, oh, shit, I got to get yeah. rid of this body. And that doesn't matter, though. That's... When you're talking about, like, premeditated murder, it's premeditated murder. It doesn't... The cleaning up of a crime scene and whatever you do with the body afterwards doesn't doesn't mean right because right because you could you could get that if this guy if they got in an altercation they're standing up in the galley and he just ripped that you know axe off the wall and hit him upside the head and killed him and then was like oh shit what do I do with the body right I see or, what you're saying if he premeditated it well okay. So with that, that's not premeditated. That was in heat of the moment, altercation, whatever. Right. And he chops the limbs off and hides it in the freezer. That's not premeditated murder. What sold it for me is the fact that he had to go down 14 steps down a hallway into this room. And the guy was clearly laying on the bed. There was enough blood evidence to safely say beyond a reasonable doubt this guy was in the, his bunk. Whether he was awake, don't know. Right. Guy could have just been 
laying there like this, been like, oh, hey, whoa, whoa, roll over. Could have been laying over, passed out. Guy could have been drunk, passed out. There was no way to know if he was drunk. They did do a tox screen, and they couldn't find enough levels of anything in there, but blood is, or alcohol goes away pretty quick. The tox screen, because they did, they took a liver sample, which is less accurate than blood but there was nothing that popped that would say the guy was on anything right so he was probably sleeping so yeah good chance again we'll never know it's one of those things and unanswered questions like i said i would love to know what happened but to me i was just looking you know logically rationally at what evidence was there and you know what that pointed to and again it's that guy came downstairs with at least one weapon and killed that guy while he was laying in a bed if it was a crime of passion again the guy could have been awake they could have been arguing in the birthing room and then the guy went upstairs and grabbed it and came back down that's enough time to be like wait a minute yeah you go up there and grab a knife like come on i i've never been that far but right like, i've been angry but you and stuff but then like more likely the more time i have the less you know the more you think about things you know? right i think a good way to think about it is this like you're pissed off in the heat of the moment and you're about to punch a wall yeah but the wall's like six feet away well by the time you get up and walk to the wall you're like eh, i don't really yeah, want to punch this wall up. anymore yeah. you know exactly that's that's the sort of thinking i think you're yeah. getting you're at. standing exactly. next you're standing next to the wall and you get pissed off and you're right there you hit the wall right that's the that's the heat of the moment thing versus the the now going back to what you're saying the crime of passion yeah this dude was clearly passionate about fucking this guy up jesus christ yeah yeah, dude so but i still think there's a premeditated (laughs) and a deliberation portion of it you know and then once you're once you're in that and the medical examiner pointed out he's like the sharp force traumas that could happen in like a grown man reasonably fit or not you know you don't have to be super fit he's like you could do that in a span of 60 seconds two minutes oh yeah if you had the guy like if you got him good a couple of times and like incapacitated him dude the one laceration on his back it's like side like flank was probably about six inches when over an inch deep so like that knife went in and drugs almost six inches and like even with the body decomposure, you couldn't see a lot of the stab wounds without having, like, if you were there examining, obviously right. you could see them. But in the picture up on their big screen TV in there with the glare coming in. But that one, dude, it was just clear as day. I mean, it looked like the split in this table. Like, wow. You know, that, like, yeah, got in there and drug. And again, they have no way with the body decom- decomposition and everything, no way to know what wounds happened first. Obviously, the medical examiner offered up his speculation. He's like, even with the amount of stab wounds, that guy could very well have been alive. Not doing great, obviously, but he could have been alive. He's like, the head wounds, because it literally caved in the back of the skull. He's like, especially the puncture with the pick part. That's the end all be all. That's After that, that guy would have been, he's like, dead after like first hit essentially right you know he had a much more articulate way of putting it because <sighs> this is his profession he's been doing it for over 30 years but yeah. jesus christ so, again man. 
my wild speculation is he came down and whether he had, I'm not going to speculate whether he had both or not, but he started with the knife and then finished the guy off in the bed with the axe, even with the limited space, you can, you know, get enough force to cave a back of a skull in and use a pickaxe to finish him off and then drug the body into the hall and dismembered. Unless, again, we're speculating. This is speculation. Maybe he thought he stabbed him to death and drug him out into the hallway. He was moving around and went and... And he went and got the axe and finished the job with the axe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because at that point... Yeah, he could have drugged the guy out into the hallway, realized he needed the axe went to get it and then came back down and the guy moved or something right and then, and then he finished changed, the yeah. job no i didn't even think of that because like that was my only hang up on the axe in the bunk bed is maybe there's enough room but yeah if he got him out there and then was like yeah skull caved in and that right because that's where he couldn't the doctor said uh more than likely it was hard to tell because you can tell post-mortem wounds there's scientific way and he's like it's harder to tell with the level decomposition but it appeared that there was the discoloration you would expect with post-mortem wounds on the arms okay yeah so, isn't it post-mortem wounds don't bleed yeah well the post-mortem your heart's not pumping right blood, so you're not going to have and then there's specific discoloration of the flesh and everything because if you're cutting flesh that's not getting blood it's right it's yeah, dead flesh yeah. yeah okay so he's like it's hard to tell but safe to say kind of right yeah. right chances um, are type yeah. of type of thing yeah wow 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 great idea for an episode <laughs> matt seriously that pretty was, morbid but hey yeah i mean i guess we should have started the episode with a disclaimer of this is this is gonna get a little nasty but you do have a disclaimer about yeah that's yeah. true no safe spaces so yep. So, disclaimer, if you've made it this far, this episode got nasty. (laughs) (laughs) They should start putting disclaimers at the end of everything. At the end of everything. Well, I don't know how much more we can really say about it. Matt, you blew my mind, man. Like, holy shit. To think that... I mean, Port Huron's a pretty good-sized city, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But to think something like that, like, that's fucking crazy. Once once in a blue moon, you get something right, like that out here. You right. Know? Like I said, you're down on a border town in Texas where cartel activity is heavy. You're going to find dismembered bodies all the time. Right. By the dozens. You know, up here, I mean, I guess technically you could say it's a border town because of the bridge to Canada, but there's not too many... Canadians, I guess. Dismembering people. (laughs) Maybe. It could be a conspiracy. But, uh, yeah. But the the dismembering part is the shocking part. That's where you're like, because murders happen all the time. There's probably more murders that happen around us than we realize. I anticipated, and I was talking to the bailiff a little bit, um, not about the case. I was just like, oh, yeah, so you said you guys were pretty balls to the wall because they're saying oh we've had like we've been doing trials like once a week where where it's usually like every two weeks okay um because the backlog from covid shutdowns 
and he's like, yeah, we had like one other murder when we first opened up. So like in the last year, they've had two, two murders. murder cases that now I'm aware of. Okay. So, but yeah, it's just the the idea of somebody cutting up a body. That's right. so macabre. You know what I mean? Like, the, you know, the dismemberment. I definitely agree with what you're saying, but to me is even less shocking. If it was just a dismemberment, I could rationalize that off as the guy was trying to hide the body. Right. Really gruesomely. Like, <laughs> I, you know, unless extreme circumstances, like, I'm not running around, like, thinking, oh, yeah, I could totally murder someone and chop them up. Yeah. Let alone chop them up. Right. You know, the thing that really, and again, they didn't touch on it, and what's the point at, you know, because part of the charge for the disinternment mutilation was removing limbs illegally so they didn't need to but that was the freaking medical examiner's exact words there was tissue removed from around the eye and the eyes were this is where i'm hung up the tissue removed was exact words around the eyes and then somehow said like the eyes were deflated with something sharp that is so disgusting so to me that weird. says eyes were poked right and he had, like, a cut, I think, in his cheek and then five in his neck, part of the sharp force traumas, but nothing like forehead, upper face. So I don't think that happened, especially with when, in, when he's saying tissue removed from up there. Oh, again, answers, you know, questions unanswered, like. What again? Did the guy <laughs> wink at him? Did he, you know, was he like, oh, you think you're going to sleep when we're. Maybe they maybe fell asleep while they're trying to have a conversation about who's going to live in the room. That could be. Well, yeah. Like, You're going to sleep on me. He runs oh, upstairs, stabs him to death, and then cuts his eyelids off. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. Holy <laughs> I, shit, dude. I, I said eyelids. I don't know. <laughs> I'm envisioning cutting eyelids off when he says tissues remove tissue removed from around eyes, you know. Oh. But they didn't specify. So, but to me, in my head, I'm thinking like this cut guy, his like, eyelids out, his eyelids yeah, and cut them off or something. Oh, that's disturbing. That's disturbing to think about. <laughs> well, <laughs> on that note, on that note, everybody have sweet dreams tonight. <laughs> Don't let the crazies stab you eighty times. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> well, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. That was a wild ride, Matt. Thank you again. Anytime, like I love how I love how you got a hold of me and you're like, "Hey, dude, I got a great idea." Dude, I was dying all week. I wanted to text you about it. Yeah. I was like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this right. Like I'm gonna wait. And as soon as we delivered that, like I was sitting in my car in the <laughs> fucking parking lot, like text Jason real quick, dude. Do I have a fucking podcast for you, dude? Bro? It was great. This was fucking awesome. Oh man. Again, I apologize if anybody's sensitive to, to the more morbid details of the story. You can throw uh, a disclaimer when you publish. Yeah, know. I'll put something in the yeah. in the details of the, the episode notes or whatever. But, oh, Matt, thank you very much. It's, you're not going to get too many of these in St. Clair County. Probably, like I probably said. won't get too many of these, period. Yeah. So, like, any of this type of true crime shit, that's sweet, dude. 
Well, let's wrap this thing up. Uh, I'd like to apologize to everybody for all the sneezing, coughing, and sniffling. As I said in the beginning of the episode, it is springtime in Michigan. And as you can tell by my super nasally, super congested, Canadian-sounding voice, I am having a rough go with it. So... Thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, thank you, Matt, for the story. Thank you for putting up this way cooler than my studio, Studio East. Uh, I'd like to do more episodes from here. This is is where it's at, man. This is cool. You got to keep this thing up. So... But again, thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the episode. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Anchor.fm. Don't forget to leave comments. Subscribe to the show. Share it with your friends. Send us an email. Mail the number two, theunderground21 at gmail.com. Thanks again, everybody. Take it easy. Matt, you want to say goodbye? Good night, everybody. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Take it easy, everybody. Yeah, man, that was... This episode was brought to you by Northern Enlightenment Studios, a division of Northern Enlightenment Entertainment Media. We hope you have enjoyed this program. Goodbye. In the transmission.